0: Hello and welcome to the next episode of the podcast, the cannabis podcast for budding enthusiasts. As always, this episode was brought to you by our incredible sponsors, Seeds Here Now, your number one seed bank in the game with all the hottest breeders, the freshest drops, with the most fire genetics to make your next crop a real killer. They have guarantee on satisfaction, not just germination. Why would you shop elsewhere? They promise if you're unhappy at the end of the harvest, shoot them a message. They'll sort you out with some new seeds. What more of a guarantee could you want? But to ensure that your harvest is of good enough quality to evaluate genetics, make sure to check out our friends at Coppet Biological Systems. The largest range of predator mites and other natural enemies in the game check out their ultimite predator a predator mite breeder sachet for your thrips spider mites russet mites and specifically formulated for maximum release rates in cannabis production climates these guys will help you to make sure your next harvest is on top of its game and the best today likewise Huge shout out to our friends at ProMix. These guys have been in the industry for almost 40 years now, providing growers with top quality mediums, and now they're proud to announce they have a new product ProMix Connect, a mycorrhizal inoculant that's formulated to increase resin, density, flavor, yield, you name it. Mycorrhizer is a versatile product that can benefit all growers. Be sure to check out ProMix Connect now to help ensure your next harvest is a success. And last but not least, a huge shout out to our friends at the Patreon Gang. You guys are the lifeblood of the show, you help make episodes happen. And if you would like to help support the show all while getting access to exclusive interviews, unheard content, additional giveaways, podcast merch, and more, please go check out www.patreon.com forward slash the podcast. In this episode, we are... Incredibly lucky to be joined by one half, of the fantastic duo behind crickets and cicada, Mr. Bob Hemphill. Here to talk all things breeding, strain history, male selection, trends in the industry, and so, so, so much more. Without further ado, let's get into it. Alrighty, so a big thank you and welcome to the next guest on the show, one half of the genetic mastermind behind crickets and cicada. We're lucky to be joined again by the librarian himself, Mr. Bob Hemphill. Thank you so much for joining us today.
1: Thanks for having me. I'm really excited to talk with you. It's been a while and it's always a good time.
0: Hell yeah. The first thing I want to know, what have you been smoking on recently?
1: Um, today, I've been smoking on the HP 13 Lazy Dog Cross, mostly. A little bit of the Brood X,
0: too. Ah, oh, nice. Some of the new releases.
1: Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, really happy with the way they turned out. Those two are really killer.
0: And what sort of high do they have? Is it like a more sort of functional one or like more sedating?
1: So, for me, it's functional. I like to smoke them during the day, but they can be a bit overwhelmingly potent, even for me. You know, both of those have a little bit of sativa in there. Um, the Brood X is probably like one-eighth Hawaiian sativa through the Sensi Star. And, um, you know, me and you were talking, last time we talked, we were talking about the HB 13 And I had mentioned that I'd always heard that it was just a land hash plant, hash plant number 13. Well, I made that comment recently on Instagram, and somebody sent me a DM. I don't know if they want to be put on the spot here, but so I won't throw their name out. But they uh, mentioned that they had heard a story that the HP-13 originated in Arizona, um, and the mother was uh, a tie that was called Victoria, and they, they needed a, a indica to shorten them the flowering time. It was a bunch of brotherhood guys um, that had met in Oaxaca. And I guess in the story I heard was on an Indian reservation in Arizona. They bred a whole bunch of indicas on the, the Victoria thai clone, and that's the source of the HP-13 seeds. I don't know if that's accurate or not. And when I heard it, I really like took it with a grain of salt. But after i Uh, grew out a bunch of the HP 13 crosses. I saw a few of them that did have the, uh, the flower structure of Thai, where they foxtailed up into a point. And um, it really made me, uh, you know, kind of think that that story might be true because, you know, people tell stories and plants tell the truth. (laughs)
0: I like that statement, that's a good one I'll have to remember that I mean, the HP-13 is really interesting Because for a long time there's been, you know All these various rumours about it And one that I find comes up regularly Is that it's somehow tied into either Skelly or the ChemDog Or just through, you know, some sort of common linkage to the ChemDog, basically Would you say that, given what you've just mentioned That you don't think that's the case? Well... I had the HP 13 back
1: in the day, and um, that was, I think I ended up dropping her in 2006 because of uh, I couldn't get the PM off of her, and I got the copy again about a year and a half ago, and it's the same copy. It's um, I got it from Lion Tree, and um, he got it from a friend in Maui, and that the copy I'd gotten 15 years ago was from another friend that had gotten in from maui and they were the same cut and you know when i remember back from 2005 you know um i've actually you know i've learned a lot in the last 15 years so it might be related to the same family of hash plants that um the puck is from in the um pacific northwest but um it just might be you know the same type of uh terpene profile and you know the leaf structures are pretty similar but the the hp 13 has a much bigger internode stretch than the puck or the pacific northwest so i would think maybe that the afghani family from the pacific northwest and the hp 13 might be you know similar family and from afghanistan But I I don't think there's any direct lineage. I think the HP-13 probably um, predates the Chem 91 by quite some time. And HP-13 has such a unique terpene profile. I've never really encountered it in any other cannabis. Um, And it really throws that in its crosses. I bred um, a four-way sour diesel, great white shark cross to it and 2005 and um, those HP 13 terps uh, really dominate stuff and um, you know I, I see that again this this cross and the lazy dog male is uh, really throws a, a certain qualities um, strongly so it, it was able to impart some really good qualities into the HP 13 where you get the bigger bud structure and you get really strong, strong, potent weed. And then the HP-13 added some of those really cool terpenes in there. And they're just so unique and, you know, you can't miss them. I really doubt that it's actually part of um, Camar, the the puck, like directly related.
0: Yeah, okay. What a a good rundown there. I think the other thing I'd heard about the HP-13 was that it might somehow be tied into the Maui dog, which is another one which, you know, often gets sort of linked into all the chem stuff. What's your thoughts on the HP-13 and the Maui dog? Is it the same in that maybe there's a similar bit of Afghanica there, but they're probably not related? Or where do you see those two in relation to each other?
1: So I actually got the Maui dog, came along with the HP-13 for the ride. And um, there's a few different... Maui dogs in Maui. Um, There's the Maui skunk dog. uh, There's the west side Maui dog. And then there's this one. So there's at least two or three of them. And um, this one is uh, Kim 91 seed, most likely an S1. You know, Natsu dog said it probably came from his grow or the person that held down the 91 and brought it out from the East Coast. One of their close friends, and it was taken over and um, popped in Maui. And that that, that really, uh, you know, that's it. When you grow the plant, you know, it's a Chem 91 S1. There's no Hawaiian sativa or any skunk in there, or anything like that, which would be the other Maui dogs. Like, not so dog had a Maui dog. He, he bred with a mass super skunk and Chem 91, and that's not it. This is just a a bag seed know it's you know one of those strains like headband or something else where there's several different strains that go by the same name so that causes a uh, mass confusion but um i bred the lazy dog male to the maui dog and i also bred him back to the chem 91 that made a chem 91 back cross and i grew the back cross out and i grew the maui dog out and um so so similar and um The Maui dog um, is such a good S1 that really amplifies those good Chem 91 qualities that it actually probably turned out better than the backcross. So um, that got me thinking, and I'm like, wow, if it is a S1, that would make the Maui dog go back to the Chem 91 two times, and then the Lazy dog goes back to it once. So that would make it, it go back to the Chem 91 three times in a very close, you know, two, three generation pedigree and um, where the back cross is only twice. So, you know, that kind of makes sense that it would be more true to type because it's um, breeding forwards instead of breeding backwards because the Maui dog really, like I said, amplifies some of the best qualities that the Chem 91 can produce.
0: Wow, that's really interesting. And it sort of brings us to another question that I wanted to ask you about Have you had any success or further developments in terms of sort of trying to reinvigorate the chem or do you think like what you just said that it's maybe better just to use the Maui dog going forward given it's, you know, arguably better?
1: Well, you know, as far as working a a pure chem line, I'm going to leave that to Lucky Dog and Top Dog. I'm more, you know, just breeding for a certain type of uh, plant that I remember in the 90s and... um. I thought adding the Chem 91 to the NL hash plant, you know, not necessarily breeding for pedigree, but more breeding for a certain type of plant. Um, And that's the reason I hit it to the Sensi star next. Um, Just breeding for a certain type of plant. And, you know, I believe the Sensi star and the Chem 91 both go back to NL. So it's, you know, um, in my opinion, the best NL around, you know, um, Even though it's not the purest, it's just kind of like the best examples of what I remember of good NL weed from the mid to early 90s. And, you know, that's what I was just trying to um, lock in those genes um, from those old cuts. You know, the Sensi Stars from the mid 90s, too. And I believe Sensi Stars' mother was Garlic Bud and the father was NL Hawaiian. And, um, you know, I think Garlic Bud is probably... Part of Chem ninety one two maybe garlic bud, hash plant, skunk type of thing would give you something very similar to chem Dog.
0: Yeah, that's a really interesting hypothesis there because I've been sort of debating the question in my mind about whether we ever will find out the real story behind Cam Dog. It seems like most of the origins have been chased as far as you can take them, and it's still not really yielding the answer. But Something that I wonder, which you just brought up is, like, what are the genetics in the chem dog in your mind that give it that stretch? Because a lot of people, and I think we've discussed this ourselves just when we were hanging out, that you know, the the similarities between Skelly or even the PNW are very present. You know, there's that similar flavor profile and effect. But the thing about the dog that always tripped me up was how stretchy it is compared to a lot of the plants that often get said, you know, oh, this is maybe a parent, this is maybe a parent. Do you think that maybe in the, the combination you just mentioned with the garlic bud, the hash plant and the skunk, that maybe it's the skunk that brings that stretch or do you think it's some weird combination which just brought it out when it wasn't expected?
1: Yeah. um, You know, I'm not an expert on skunk, but, um, you know, I think skunk's got quite a bit of Colombian and, you know, um, a few others, sativas mixed with the uh, Afghani. So, yeah. Chem 91, definitely, besides the stretch, it has the um, the, the way the flowers um, will just keep getting wider and wider in the center. The butt is right, you know, at eight and a half weeks. But if you're looking at the outside, the um, it'll keep going till 77 days. Um, you know, certain people notice that it's actually a test higher and has better terpenes at about eight and a half weeks. Um, you know compared to like 10 or 11 weeks so um the way that the that just keeps uh putting out and going around the bud is definitely sativa qualities almost uh, reminds me of haze crosses that i've seen like nl haze crosses can kind of do that same thing
0: yeah that's so interesting because I remember I was talking to Skunk VA about it, and he said something to the effect of, he goes, every now and again, I wonder, is Chemdog even a real indica? He goes, sometimes I think there's sativa in there. He goes, it's almost like, kind of like what you mentioned with the lazy dog crosses. Like, it's just so potent that sometimes it tricks you into thinking it's a real heavy indica, but maybe it's not as heavy as we give it credit for. It's just so potent that it sort of knocks you down a bit and you're like, oh, Super Indica. Um, Do you think of it like that? Have you ever thought that maybe there's some sativa in the chem?
1: I I would say almost 100%, um, maybe 25%, and it just, you know, carries those few qualities. I wish we knew more about the history of cannabis, you know. Um, People have always been trading Silk Road and the Hippie Trail, all went through there and people are always, uh, taking seeds and spreading them around and really don't know much about, um, history in Asia, but I'm sure there was a lot of, uh, people moving from Southeast Asia and Afghanistan back and forth and, um, people take cannabis with them. That's what they do. I wish we had a, a, a better, um, view of everything like most land races have been ruined at this point and we only have glimpses here and there of uh what there was and um is left in some places
0: yeah sadly that is the truth isn't it i'm going to jump back to the silk road you just mentioned a minute ago but before i get there i just want to quickly ask do you think we'll ever find the true roadkill skunk? And if you were going to try to find the roadkill skunk, where would you look? What genetics? Would it be in pure skunk, Afghani, or some sort of mix?
1: Um, Always looking for something like that. And um, I don't have it in my arsenal. I bred with the four-way so many different times. I bred it to Great White Shark and... 98, I bred it to AK-47, bred it to um, inbred Chemdog from South Fork Seed, Sirius, um, which was a mix of 707 Seed Banks, uh, 707 Chemdog and Stardog from JJ, bred it to NL1, and it never really passed along those uh, skunk qualities. It passed along a lot of other nice qualities, but... You know, um, I hope it's not a something that's lost and it's just going to be mythical from here on out. Hopefully, someone has it in their gene pool and they'll share it with the community.
0: Yeah. I mean, as someone who's never been able to try it, I would, I would certainly love to see if it meets the hype or uh, if it's sort of one of those just fabled strains from years ago. But... Let's go back and uh, state the obvious, you know, it's pretty exciting times for you and Hannibal recently because since we last spoke a number of years ago, uh, you've been able to sort of part ways from Coastal and launch your own brand, Crickets and Cicada, which has been met with a lot of success and even more recently, the, the momentum behind your work has just been going off the chain. How have you been since we last spoke and how's the new company and what have you been keeping yourself busy with? it's been a wild ride since we last talked. um, some lots of
1: good times and some rough times. And, um, you know, I've just been focusing mostly on working my lines that I like and Hannibal likes the most. And about a year ago, I, you know, came out of, you know, like a little bit of uh, depression funk and I just really went full, full blast on the, on the company. Um, I had a good friend pass away, and you know, kind of put me in a funk for a few years, and a couple other rough things. But um, the support from the community has been tremendous, and it's really heartfelt and appreciated. And even if you're just, you know, liking or commenting on the Instagram, it's it, it's appreciated, and um, really. Cool to see people uh, interested in these old genetics and not just the same old um, cookie fam stuff and supporting us so we can continue to work these lines further and hopefully uh, bring out some really cool stuff into the gene pool that hasn't been there in seed form for quite a few years.
0: Yeah, what a what a great insight into what you've been doing recently and I, I think I speak for everyone when I say we're glad to hear you're back kicking things in full swing. Just in a few questions ago, you mentioned the Silk Road and it brought up to mind that uh, you released a strain called the Silk Road, which was the Lebanese hash plant crossed by the PNW hash plant NL1. How did that go for you? Did it sort of bring some of the traits you were looking to create to the forefront? And will you possibly be working any more strains like that?
1: So there's some really cool stuff to be found in that cross. The red Lebanese hash plant, as you know, is amazing smoke, super potent. Um, The fact that she's land though, she throws stuff all over the place. So it's not my most consistent strain which, you know, in my opinion, that's a good factor. But there's, you know, quite a few different phenos of the hash plant that can pop out and then the NL hash plant side. So it's a really cool mix. And if you, you know, F2 those, there's going to be some crazy stuff uh, popping out. I have the red lab in the breeding room right now with the puck back cross. And I'm excited to grow those ones out
0: really excited about that one yeah wow hash hash plant lover's wet dream right there having both parents come from either side with that sort of genetic lineage i guess the thing that i would be wondering is having been lucky enough to see the lebanese hash plant in your garden i've seen that it's it's quite stretchy i mean you know compared to say like the pnw hash plant or the skelly hash plant It's got a lot of, you know, vigorous side branching, really admirable traits. And then, you know, on the other side of the parental lineage, we've got the traditional hash plant, you know, that totem pole kush. Do you expect people to find maybe a happy medium when these two meet and cross paths? Or do you think you'll get some that are like mum, some that are like dad? And in your mind, is the ideal pheno the one in the middle or is it just taking one or two traits from either side? So... You know, with that F1 hybrid there, I'm sure I'm expecting
1: to see you know 30% leaning towards the the mother, the hash plant side, 30% leaning towards the puck back cross, and then you know the other 30% being the blend. You know, F1s are you know if you're into hunting seeds and finding cool stuff, man, they're really cool because there's going to be quite a mix in there and the red leb, as you know, has some amazing terps. You know, turtsy roll, um, amazingness, and like you said, the the branching and the way she can stack. She gets a really big cola, so she can add a lot of really nice qualities to the mix. And um, I'm excited to grow that one out. And uh, I put every hash plant I had in there. I put the nepalese hash plant pacific northwest hash plant put the puck in there through the bx2 um, and a bunch of northern lights clones so i'm excited about that one
0: that's awesome and there's a whole bunch of avenues i want to delve into with you off that one but before we move on i just want to quickly ask because i've had a number of people ask me this would you be able to give us a quick rundown on what you know of the backstory behind the Red Lebanese hash plant?
1: Came from Bamboo. He got it from a relative of Tim Blake's. I heard it was Howard Marks' stock. So, I don't know much besides that.
0: Yeah, wow. Well, I mean, you don't really hear about Howard Marks, you know, the for people listening, the original Mr. Nice You don't really hear a lot about his personal seed stock, but it makes sense that there would have been some, right? That guy uh, was a serious smuggler.
1: Um, He did a lot of smuggling in the US, and I'm sure he uh, spread genetics, you know? Um, Really big, good dealers, uh, especially back then. That was before my time even, because I know in my time in the 90s, especially, the dealers would you know get the good cuts into the growers hands a lot of the time so that they could get that weight you know so um i'm sure in howard's time it was even more important for that type of thing to happen
0: yeah wow it makes me think like that's that's the seed stock i want to go get my hands on somehow but (laughs) anyway we'll move on I uh, I wanted to fill people in because I'd, I'd noticed that the name of the new company, Crickets and Cicada, it's a cool name and I'd actually heard that from a lot of different people. They thought it was like unique and like very different to the sort of names you hear on the market nowadays and I know that you used to have a dog called Cicada, a beautiful girl I had the pleasure of meeting once. And I'm wondering slash guessing, was that the inspiration for the name of the brand? And if you might be able to give us a bit of a rundown on where the name comes from.
1: Yeah. um, I had a cat named Cricket, too. And um, the the, the name is from uh, Terrapin. Um, Cricket Cicada Sing is uh, the line in Terrapin. And uh, I just put it... uh, crickets and cicada seeds Um, just keep it keep the family names in there and then you know terrapin station is one of my favorite songs of all time and grateful dead has been such a huge inspiration in my life
0: yeah that's awesome and i'll i'm going to get to some grateful dead questions in a little bit but i just wanted to quickly follow up one of our listeners had requested to ask you if you had any tips on treating dogs with cannabis for example what you might use, the sort of dosages. I know that you've had a little bit of experience with this. Do you have any recommendations?
1: Yeah. it Start slowly and uh, work your way up. And, um, you know, if you can work with a lab, you know, get your uh, coconut oil tested to see how strong it is, you know, per weight. And then you can know how much you're dosing and work your way up. And... Um, it, it does amazing things with old or injured animals, but like I said, it's very important to start slow and work your way up because they can get pretty fucked up and where they where they can't walk and they're just kind of like fucked up if you don't do that. You know, I've lived in Humboldt County since 97 and I've heard of a lot of and seen a lot of people's dogs get into compost piles uh, full of pounds full of buttered out ganja and they just get in there and munch it and, and animals can become uh, quite fucked up so make sure they don't have access to large amounts like that because if they like it they'll eat it you know uh, especially if it's in butter or coconut oil that's just an important tip right there though because uh, but i i highly recommend it cook it in a crock pot use a candy thermometer so you don't get it too hot Strain it through a cheesecloth and coconut oil. Well. Cats eat it, dogs eat it, and um, I've seen it extend years on the animals' lives, and and the quality of uh, that the life of old animals is uh, dramatically increased. They're not in pain walking around, and they can sleep through the night. It's just amazing.
0: That's so awesome to hear. And just to clarify would you recommend just THC or a mixture of THC-CBD? Because we see a lot of CBD brands emerging that are trying to cater specifically for animals. And then finally, would you recommend them having a dose every day or like how frequently?
1: I rem- recommend one-to-one CBD to THC. And um, you really want high uh, terpene strains. It really matters in the healing effect. And... um. You don't have to have a one-to-one strain. You can have THC strain and a CBD strain and just mix them 50-50 in there. And then um, CBD is crucial and the THC is crucial. I think they got to be in there together to work uh, really. I'm sure CBD by itself would be good and THC by itself would definitely be good. But if you uh, can mix them both, it's far superior.
0: Awesome stuff. So, just to throw back to the Grateful Dead you mentioned, another one of our guests wanted to know, what's your favorite Grateful Dead show of all time or do you have like a specific tour that you like more than one specific show?
1: So, as far as uh, tapes and stuff, I love 77. Um, That's one of my favorite years. I got to see them live myself in 93 and... 94 and 95 unfortunately i didn't graduate high school in 90 until 94 so i got to see jerry about 30 to 50 times and every single time i saw him it was the most amazing thing you felt like he was talking directly to you it's hard you know to get tickets back then it was really a struggle everybody wanted to get in so when you finally did get in and you know, he played, you know, a touch of gray or something. You really felt it. You, I don't know, he, you know, some musicians are just amazing. And that's, you know, the only way he can be described as amazing. I think everyone in the audience felt like he was talking directly to them personally. And uh, the songs were telling the story of everybody's lives all interwound together. Very thankful I got to experience that in my lifetime.
0: What an awesome recount. That's killer. That's killer. What's your thoughts on people naming their strains after Grateful Dead uh, songs? And I just guess I wonder like when there's these really well-known song names and then you get a strain and like maybe it's not a good strain like does that is that like a bummer? Like I don't know.
1: <laughs> I think every uh Grateful Dead song name is uh, already taken up in strain form. Uh Me and P-Bud Mike were actually uh, texting today about this, laughing and joking. I think it's a cool tribute to the band. Um, Hopefully, people don't start getting sued.
0: (laughs) That's it, right? That's it, in the age of being sued. I mean, brings up a great point. I love chatting with you because you're like me. You often just lurk around on social media and so... Like, you know, maybe you're not commenting on every post, but I can bank on you having seen the post. So my question is, what's your thoughts on Turpogs Hogs and getting sued by Skittles? Do you think it was sort of had it coming or where do you sit?
1: You know, um, I think it was definitely not going to be a hard decision for uh, the judge to decide if it was uh, infringement or not. Um, so that being said, they probably, you know, didn't think of that when they started their brand and their brand's amazing and you know it's an unfortunate situation to be honest to it the way i see it especially uh since the you know the owner of that candy company starting to get into the marijuana business it's just like don't support that guy you know fuck that guy that's what you know that's all i gotta say about that one
0: yeah that is suspicious timing isn't it I think the thing about the Skittle situation which makes me interested in it all is, like, sort of two aspects. A, there was the Matt Rise incident of, I believe, 2015, where he got a cease and desist from Nintendo after... I'm sure you remember back in the day every oil company had, like, a Mario or a Bowser or a Peach or something on their labeling. And, like, Nintendo was the big thing to sort of take characters from. Anyway... He, got, he was the first one, I believe, to receive some sort of legal notification about the use of another company's trademark. So, I think it's interesting that there's already like a precedent um, and I think that that came about before they found Skittles. So, that's interesting. But I think the more interesting part about the story is the way they're reacting to it and it seems like rather than sort of copping it sweet and being like, yep, look, We're going to have to rebrand somehow. You know, a lot of the posts seem to be like, you know, we made Skittles. Everyone uses the Z in Skittles. And like, it's just sort of like not the approach I was expecting them to take. Have you thought about that at all? And what's your thoughts on them when they're sort of trying to lash out and say to everyone, well, you know, everyone uses Skittles in their spelling. We started this trend, blah, blah, blah. Like, is that going to go anywhere? Yeah. What's your thoughts?
1: You know, it's uh it's it's uh I wouldn't be acting like them, that's for damn sure. Um but you know, I hope I don't get a cease and assist for uh, crickets and cicadas at some point. It would be a uh, below not just to the company, but you know, the the Grateful Dead, you know, the the band that used to let everyone tape their shows for free, that they could spread the music for free, you know.
0: Yeah. Okay. Good answer, good answer. So, I've been interested to ask you, you're a passionate organic grower like myself, like many people we've had on the show. I like that you're always pretty up to date with the newest trends and the going-ons of the organic world. Is there anything new you've started doing in your garden in regards to growing or maybe amendments or inputs that are sort of new compared to the last time we spoke? Um,
1: I've implemented the Vitamixer into my... Uh game and it's been really cool. So, I've for the last 10 or 15 years when I uh, have extra male plants, I always feed them to the the crop when I cull them out. I used to put them in an extraction bag and and soak them in water overnight when I brewed my dragonfly earth medicine and I would uh rub the bag to help uh extract. But um about a year and a half ago i started cutting them up and sticking them in the vitamixer and just uh blending it to juice and then adding that um, onto my water and they're responding even better to that i also uh do nettle and um horsetail and uh, they're loving that and uh aloe vera just put aloe vera leaves in there and some water and uh grind it up and then add that to my uh you know i'm watering with a, a trash can right now with the sub pump on the bottom that circulates the water around to keep it all mixed up nice and um you know i wouldn't recommend doing that every feeding but a few times per trip uh with those uh ingredients i just named it have been really helpful to my uh old regiment which is mostly uh earthworm castings and compost.
0: Nice. And are you, at the end of a cycle, are you pulling the soil out and mixing it up and mixing new amendments in or are you sort of that more traditional no-to where you just top dress a few things and chuck the new plant in?
1: Got to work with the lab and send it in um, and whatever the lab says needs done, I'll do it. If it doesn't need any major adjustments, I'll leave it in the pot two or three times you know sometimes i'll i'll need to get them all out and flush them and add certain ingredients uh, to get everything proper ratios or get cal mag ratios proper and and whatever you know like you you can shoot from the hip and just throw in you know a handful of this a handful and that and you know you can kind of get good at doing that but You'll never be as good as uh, sending it to a lab and working with a lab and having them tell you what you need to add to your soil.
0: Yeah, certainly. I think that what you said is just so true, isn't it? Like, you, with time, you can get good at having an idea of what you need. But the true sort of clear picture in the situation is doing a lab test and adjusting. And there's so many different ways you can do that. I mean, in Australia, obviously lab tests aren't utilized very often for almost anything. Like, I mean, soil, soil you can get tested for sure, but like, I mean, cannabinoids and stuff like that, like you just can't get it tested. But what's interesting is I've, um, I've spoken to people about the way they do their soil tests and there's a lot of diversity. Some people say they've got 10 pots, like they might order 10 tests, but that's going to be quite expensive after a while if you're doing it regularly. And then I spoke to someone else and they said, oh, nah, like I'll just test one pot every so often that I think is like a sort of benchmark. And then someone else told me a cool idea where they say they get a little sample from each pot and mix it together and send that in. And then if it's pretty good, they just leave it. But if something needs to be changed, they'll then pull all the root balls out, like all the soil out, mix it all together fix it and put it back together long story short i know i know that just took a long time to explain the question is how do you get your saw tested do you just test one of them or what do you do
1: yeah uh, a little bit from a bunch of different pots um and mix it all together and i think that'll give you the, the best picture so you know obviously some Strains are going to pull certain nutrients out of there harder, or certain plants are getting bigger and they're going to use the nutrients uh, more than the smaller plants, you know, even of the same variety. But, um, you know, you just can't send out a million samples to the lab, you know, you just got to kind of mix a little bit of everything together and then shuffle it up and then send that to the lab would be my best uh, advice to anybody out there.
0: Sure. And the final little bit on organics for the moment is. Do you try to have your soil full of nutrients and ready for the coming cycle such that you're really just sort of watering only with the occasional tea or do you like the idea of sort of periodically top dressing and always having things in a state of breaking down and releasing nutrients?
1: I like um, a really rich soil but not so rich that you only give it water. I like to feed it teas and top dress and hit the plants with certain you know, food regimens at certain times to, to get the results that I, that I like out of them. So, you know, as a lately, I, I like uh, popping my seeds in a raw gold king's mix in four inch pots. And then I, I mix them. I let them go in that for about three or four weeks uh, straight water. Maybe the last few feedings, I'll mix in some CalMag and then I'll uh, move them up to a two gallon in my custom soil. My custom soil is uh, too hot for seedlings. Um, it's just uh, it's too much. But even with that, I still like to top dress and feed them with teas because I use uh, smaller pots, three to five gallons, and I really uh, put them as close to the lights as possible. And, you know, they eat the food up that way really hard and fast. So that's just the method that's worked for me best uh, over the years. Um,
0: what a good rundown. We'll have to implement that next cycle ourselves. One of the biggest sort of pieces of feedback I received about our first episode was how grateful people were about the depth of detail you went into with your IPM regiment, And I think people have been able to successfully use that themselves. I guess it makes me wonder, you know, are you still the IPM king? You still kicking ass each cut you get?
1: Yeah, I mean, you got to... Be on your IPM game if you're going to keep these mothers around. That's for sure. You know, I sulfur is king still. Um, I'm also doing a, um, another mix with uh, I use an ounce or two per gallon of uh, alcohol. The um, 99.9% mix that with uh, plant therapy, an ounce or two per gallon. An ounce of uh, Dr. Bronner's soap per gallon, some essential oils, and uh, you know maybe a quarter ounce per gallon, and alternate your essential oils. And that one's been treating me real nice lately. knocks out a bunch of stuff, and um, doesn't really bother the plants too much. The only thing in there that really bothers the plants would be the essential oils. Just make sure it's not too hot when you're spraying. You don't want to be doing it you know, above 90 degrees, you want the lights to be off. Um, you don't want the fans blowing on the plants too hard either for, until they dry out for a few hours. But uh, between that and the uh, micronized sulfur, you're, you're pretty go- golden.
0: Awesome. What a nice little rundown of the, the volumes and ingredients right there. I noticed that neem oil was missing off the list. Have you decided to take a step away from neem oil?
1: You know, um, I'm getting the results with this mix that I just mentioned. The only thing that I don't like is the you know plant therapy is a little bit expensive. You know, um, I use it as a part as extra alcohol and extra soap really and ex- extra essential oils really uh, makes it really. You know, I, I spray with a, a paint sprayer. You know, if you spray that every day for uh, 12 days, you're going to get rid of any problem you have. And, um, you know, if you then clean the plants off for a week and then alternate with sulfur, you're definitely not going to have any problems. I like to do that treatment once a year, you know, switch in between. But you got to give a, a week in between. You know, spray the plants off with uh, yucca and aloe and coconut with the paint sprayer, just water. You don't want that sulfur to react with the oils. and get a bad burn.
0: Ooh, ouch. Yeah, that would. I can imagine the plants being very unhappy with that. A question I commonly get asked, which is a tough one to answer, so I'm interested to hear your perspective, is... What should someone do if they're growing organically and want to adhere to, you know, proper organic practices? So, not using pesticides, things like that. What should they do if, like, in week four of flower, they notice, like, a mite problem? I guess the question sort of revolves around should they spray something? Should they not spray something? Are there better options? How do you go about battling a week four flower infestation?
1: Week four infestation is a rough one. You know, ideally, you want to be uh, inspecting your garden really thoroughly in those first few weeks and not having an infestation at week four, so you would notice earlier. It, it, at that stage, you know, it's uh, you know your, your personal med, so it's going to be your personal choice. I know uh, Plant Therapy advertises that you can spray uh, their product uh till the day of harvest you know I, i obviously wouldn't want to do that personally but if i had um um week four i think i would probably attack them with the plant therapy the alcohol and the dr bronner's soap with some essential oils um spray them three or four days in a row with that and um they would probably be relatively uh clean a month later
0: yeah. Okay. So are you sort of, of the opinion, and I think I agree with this, that you're just sort of trying to just get through till the end of harvest as best you can? Yeah, yeah, for sure. I think
1: if you hit them, you know, you're, you know, four weeks in, if you hit them with that mixture, I told you, four days in a row, you'd you you you'd put a hurting on them. Um, if you went as far as 10 days in a row, you'd kill any uh, spider mites or micromites with that. Um the two ounces per gallon of alcohol just dries out their eggs and they're they're not going to make it through that.
0: Yeah, great tip there, a great tip. So before we got into the IPM, you made the comment, you know, you got you got to stay on top of the bugs if you're going to have the library like you do. And so I'm wondering, are there any new additions to the library that you're particularly happy or excited to have been able to pick up?
1: You know, still excited about that HP thirteen, and that was the one I had uh, mentioned last time that I had wanted the most. And um, with the way it crossed the lazy dog, I'm very thankful that I was able to get reunited. And um, very excited to see her cross with the puck back cross. So that should be really cool too. Um, you know, I got so many cuts; it's really hard for me to think of them all. You know, I get into the uh, other room and I'm like oh look at this one this one's badass and then I get to the next one behind it and I'm like oh yeah this one's fucking badass you know like when I'm showing someone around and, oh this one's even fucking better over here you know uh, the NL2 cut that Bodie passed me that he got from Jim Ortega you know to have something like that in the library amazing I'm really excited to see that clone get crossed to the puck back cross um, Kevin Jordy just told me to come down, um, pick up a clone. He wanted to see it in the uh, puckback cross. It was uh, Alaskan Thunderfuck from uh, Dutch Blooms. He said that's a really killer uh, pine plant, so I'm excited about that one. That one's in the puckback cross too. Um, my friend Gabe shared with me this killer NL clone. Um, his friend has been holding on to it for 20 years. His friend got it uh, in the late '90s in Humboldt County. Um, it was an old clone at that point. He got it as NL. I first uh, got samples of it a few years ago, at thermal cup. I showed it to AK Bean Brands, and AK Bean Brands and I both thought it had uh, the NL5 in there. And then um, I saw Kevin Jordry post about that old NL clone recently about a month ago and he thought it was NL5 too. So it's most likely NL5, but it's, um, when he made his post, he was talking about have we really improved cannabis in you know, the last 20 or 30 years, cause this clone is of such high quality, has such uh, amazing, uh, you know, crystal covered butts. In reality, we haven't really done much to improve cannabis in the last 20 or 30 years. And I'm basically, a uh, trying to get all these uh, awesome clones i have in a seed form have the building blocks out there so some people in the future can improve cannabis i feel like these uh, old building blocks are going to be essential to it at some point when we realize that the cookie wave is not the ultimate cannabis plant and um i'm just hoping i can uh you know add some gene pools that some breeders will be able to take stuff to the next level with that would be awesome
0: Really nice answer there. I mean, so many avenues to go off. The first one, I just want to quickly ask you, that NL2 Bodhi gave you, is that does that one have like sort of thinnish leaves?
1: This is the more indica one. He had two of them passed uh, from Jim Ortega to him, and this is the more indica one Bodhi knows what I like. so.
0: Okay, yeah. Last time I was at his place, I think I tried the thinner leaf one, um, and he didn't like warn me. It just, it sat me down on my ass so hard. And I was just like, what the fuck was that? And he's like, Oh, that's CNL NL2. <laughs> yeah. It's some
1: fucking, uh, it's good weed. Uh, I had a friend of mine, uh, Kenza got it, uh, lab tested and it has a real strong pine lemon. And that it's that old school, you know, pine, not that terpenaline pine. It's that,
0: You know, pine, tree, pine. Yeah. Okay. I mean, yeah, so many places we can go from. I guess just kind of building on where you said, you know, you want to build some lines that maybe people in the future can use to improve things. Tell us a bit about some of the more recent males you're working with. I mean, you've mentioned the lazy dog a few times now. What sort of traits and flavors can people expect that male to bring to Crosses?
1: hash planty gas um not your normal gas it's uh a more hash planty northern lights um indica gas it's uh something i'm really happy with and i'm really proud of especially the way it uh nicked with the 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 sensi star across the brood x um You know, we, we were, uh, starting to search through that, um, smoke, smoke, smoke testing them and we're like, Holy shit. We had about eight of them and we're like, wow, none of these are calls. They're all fucking amazing. And then we opened jar 13 and Holy fucking shit. This weed is as loud and as potent as anything I've ever seen in my entire life. And I'm like, wow, I think this thing's so good, uh, that you know it's going to be easy to call some of those um we're just going to keep about four of them to have a second look at um one of them being a a garlic bud leaner which was uh my favorite plant the whole time through and uh it's kind of like the sensi star mother was a garlic bud leaner most of the sensi star cuts uh lean towards the hawaiian nl side and um the sensi star is a rare one and um yeah, she produced mostly uh, the a Hawaiian side, and which is amazing because it it clicked really really well with the Lazy Dog. But I popped a whole bunch more Brudex seeds already, and I'm looking through them. You know, I'm curious to see how rare that garlic bud pheno is in there because I only saw it once in about twenty seeds.
0: I mean you've got me wondering now what was garlic bud like was it the same kind of garlic as what we see in GMO or like was it just like an indica GMO or what what are your recollections of it
1: so when Ben Donkers came in after you know Neville got in trouble they changed the name to Shiva Shante and um it's the same strain and Shiva Shante it's just it's a like one, I don't know if I talked about it in the podcast, but if one of the strains I grew in '96 was a Shiva Shante clone, my friend gave me, and goddamn, if I go back in time and get that fucking clone, it would be a game changer, man. This thing was, you know, had been around for a few years already at that point in '96, so you know, it's probably, you know, like the original drop, you know, when um, they changed the name, but it was super high quality. It's uh, not too much of that family around left around unfortunately
0: interesting i mean do you feel like maybe one of the reasons why you don't see those strains around so much anymore is because some of those prolific older ones that you mentioned were so heavily adopted by the amsterdam scene in those early years and all the seed companies were just putting out bad versions of those strains such that they just got lost or do you think they just don't stand up to more modern strains and they got let go
1: <clears throat> man it's really hard keeping clones around for you know years and years and years at a time and um, no one can do it by themselves it takes a group of people and a lot of stuff that have, have has been lost and busts and stuff and you know, it's just, it takes an insane amount of uh, almost like crazy commitment to keep stuff alive for as long as I have. It's, you know, I'm like a fucking crazy cat hoarder that just, you know, takes everything in and keeps it forever.
0: <laughs> yeah, okay. Well, at least we know that, you know, any packs we get down the line will still be using the real mothers if they come from you another question we got asked a lot by the fans and i was wondering myself is what's new about the nl mail you've picked this time you've written that you've selected a new mail from the original seed stock have you been able to find out what the differences are between this new one compared to the last one you used
1: i think we uh, might be confused there because i actually tried to pop about a uh... Forty or fifty of the NL one seed stocks about a month ago and none of them went, unfortunately. I'm gonna go talk to K about that one here soon. Um, hopefully he can get some of his to go. This lazy dog male is, you know, the grandson of that original Northern one Northern Lights one male that I picked and used for the original Northern Lights crosses. And um, when I picked the NL hash plants, I picked out of over just over a hundred seeds i sprouted i picked 15 females that i really liked and i kept them in small pots um for over a year to see if any of them would pre-flower and any of them that did pre-flower i called because that was the biggest problem with the nl1 male is he uh, would go into pre-flower himself and i heard a lot of people say i found a keeper cut but it in veg under 18 hours of light it would just pre-flower and it would just you know kind of veg like shit so it wasn't really worth keeping around at that point so I really knew if I was going to work that line I, I needed to get rid of that trait then and there and I'm very proud of the fact that uh, I was able to get rid of that you know um, to eliminate a trait like that out of uh, the gene pool, um is something I'm really proud of um, hopefully I can take that success and you know completely uh wipe out their traits but you know that's going to take a few generations of work so i ended up using three nl hash plants when i made those crosses and um two of more hash plant leaners and one of them one is an nl1 leaner the lazy dog male i picked I kept him around for a year before I used him to, tortured him in a small pot, never showed signs of pre-flower. He's almost identical in structure. And when I look back in pictures of the NL1 to him, hes they're almost identical. He just doesn't pre-flower. So I'm really, you know, pleased with that and pleased with him. And, um, you know, like I said, I, you know, I kind of see uh, – you know, like the Brood X is like the really good NL from the 90s. The Disco Cross, the NL hash plant by the headband was also uh, very similar to the good Northern Lights from the 90s. You know, the pedigree is not 100% pure, but it's the same type of plant. So I feel like that's more important than just having a pure NL gene pool. It's more the type of plant that you're getting in seed form and producing.
0: Yeah, what a great answer. And you're 100% correct. I made a mistake there. But you answered another question, which was basically I was going to ask about the NL, so you just did it. But the question I was meant to ask you is the new M10 male, not NL, derp, sorry. Um, yeah, you popped some seeds recently and you've got a new M10 male. Can you give us the rundown on him?
1: Okay, so that M10, um, it was an open pollination. There was... 30 to 50 males used. The only thing I called from the line was a few true her- hermaphrodites. Um, I got those out of the gene pool so it wasn't a, a, a pure open pollination. Just was a uh, main goal was preserving the M10 line and um, just like original with the owl crosses. Uh, I, this is the second open pollination and it was five years later. So I like to get the seeds every uh, five years or so. Um, those NL1 seeds that didn't pop those were uh, 10 years old so you know somewhere that, I've been to start to really lose a lot of vigor and um, from the first open pollination and crosses I had done with the M10 I, I had an idea of what it can produce and I threw a lot of clones in this time that I thought would uh, nick really well and we're really happy with the results um, the M10 it, by itself is um, a sweeter Afghani. I feel like uh, from my experience with Afghani lines, there's either, there's two forms. There's the acrid, um, earthy, skunky Afghanis, and then there's the sweet, um, berry, purple, um, grape Afghanis, and um, them 10 leans more towards the sweet side so you know i thought that would click well and um with some of these other afghanis and it it did i'm really happy with the way the uh gan Daddy turned out and the bubble gan um there's some really really cool keepers to be found in that you know you don't see afghanis like that much anymore in seed form i'm really proud to be bringing those uh to the market you know if i was a seed buyer that's the type of shit i would be scooping up you know and really cool weed tastes great super relaxing there's some real winners uh to be found in the bubble gannon and the Gandaddy both you know and you know there's uh some really cool stuff for people to work lines from there's gonna be uh i would predict a lot of uh breeders are millifying cool shit to work off you know all the different M10 crosses I did. Um, it, it's great places to start breeding projects um, and work away from in different directions.
0: Yeah! Wow! What a great answer. I mean, I love that you referenced the Gandaddy because th- there was a few things I noticed about it. First of all, as you mentioned, it's got a nice little crew of supporters on social media, and with all the you know really nice photos you've been posting of it, just beautiful. It's not hard to understand why. But one of the big things that stood out to me was that, first of all, it's the first Granddaddy Purple cross in quite a while that's got a bit of momentum behind it. And then the other thing it made me wonder about is why do you think the Granddaddy Purple gets overlooked so often? I often hear people talk about it like it's a crap version of Urkel, whereas I always just thought it was sort of different. What are your thoughts about Granddaddy Purple and do you plan to work the Gandaddy line forward at all or do you think it's just nice as an F1?
1: So there's quite a few questions there. So I believe the Granddaddy is an Urkel cross from Chris, rest in peace. I'd always heard uh, it was Salmon Creek Big Bud by Urkel. Um, when I'm seeing these Urkel crosses, especially by the M10, I'm seeing nothing but Broadleaf Afghani in there. That's what the plants are telling me. I've always really, really loved the granddaddy purple. Um, I I like it more than the urkel. The urkel might be a little bit more flavorful. Um, The granddaddy's got more potency, in my opinion. You know, when I'm cracking open these uh, granddaddy jars and sampling them to look for keepers, it just brings me back to 2002. You know, it's like it's the early 2000s when Humboldt, You had to have purple or you couldn't sell your bags that craze hit you know these are the type of weed that would have done really well in that market in that time place um it's a throwback like i said there's going to be really cool building blocks to be found in there for breeders um i think cookies definitely goes back to urkel if not granddaddy you know look what dungeon fault has done with the all that work they did off of ken's cut with uh ken from back in the day it's a really cool gene pool especially when you uh were to take something like that and add it with the ogs or cookies or something there's going to be some really cool stuff that's going to come out of all uh, the modern, modern bag appeal yeah
0: that's that's an awesome answer and, and i too like granddaddy a lot i think it um costs a bit of a bad rep sometimes not sure why While we're talking about the M10, though, I wanted to quickly ask you, I had heard some rumors that UFO, which was an old release from Coastal Seeds, Romulan by NL, was in fact the line that alien genetics used to find a male that they called Peach. Had you heard this? And did the UFO line give Peach phenotypes that you're aware of?
1: So, um, the NL1 male definitely threw Peach. He threw that with, the NL5 female I bred them to, we bred through that to with quite a few different females. I've definitely heard that story. You know, it's awesome when people use my gear. It's especially awesome when they don't change the name and give me credit. <laughs>
0: There you go, Diplomatic. I love it. So when you hear something like that where someone's doing really well with one of those lines, does it ever make you think, oh, maybe I should dig through that line a bit more? There's like obviously really good stuff in there.
1: Like I said earlier, one of my uh, main goals is not to be the best breeder. One of my main goals is to provide uh, really good gene pulls for the best breeders. And with every breeding I do, that's uh, a large um, factor in my head is what the females we choose. Because we have uh, a ridiculous amount of females. And you can see uh, when I do my breedings, I don't just throw them all in there. I throw certain types that we're hoping to get certain results and you know, one of my main results is potency and, um, to be able to retain that potency and seed form. So that makes really good breeding stock. I like to breed as pure as possible. If it's not already in the strain it's being crossed to, it's the same type generally. So it's, uh, breeding for certain types, uh, families and, um, just to help preserve those, uh, qualities and gene pools. um, Rather than making crosses like, you know, I did with the M10 Malawi Gold and M10 Ethiopian Banana and uh, Ethiopian Panama Red by M10. The goal in, in those breedings is to open everything up and get craziness. But most of the time when I'm breeding like the M10s to the Black Domina or those Afghanis, because they're of similar types and I feel like they'll nick well and preserve their qualities. I wish I had hundred different facilities and I was just driving around to them all day long and doing different breeding projects. I have so much work that I want to do in my head I'll never be able to accomplish it in my lifetime. You know, I don't I don't cross it together if I don't think it's gonna provide something cool to work off of. You know, and so I have so much should I'll, you know I'll never be able to get back to it especially with uh, me trying to preserve land race and um, like I said I when I you know do an open pollination I like to get back to it every five years so it's difficult to decide uh, what projects are most important and um, which ones I'm gonna get to next because I got like ten of them in my head at least and so much old work that you there's just amazing shit that, you know, can be worked out of them. It's just hard to leave them there and never go back to them.
0: Yeah, good answer. Good answer. I mean, you just sort of referenced it yourself. Would you ever consider wanting to work with bigger facilities or organizations in order to be able to, you know, do more projects or do you like the sort of in-house mom-and-pop feel of the way you do things?
1: i love the in-house mom and pop feel of the way uh hannibal and i do things um she's the yin to my yang and um she sees something that i don't see and she sees things differently and um her commitment to keep these clones is at times you know it's the reason the collection is still here so i i love that aspect of it just uh working with us but um You know, I would really love to see huge selections and um, I can't do that by myself. You know, especially if I'm going to work different projects, you know, teaming up would be able to to get more stuff done and more stuff out to the people, which would be really cool. Um, But it's it's a tough one. And I most likely, you know, I always say no to offers, but the right one came along. I, I might consider it because you know you really want to be looking through hundreds of plants at a time and for a mom and a pop to do that it's almost impossible you know um we have 15 to 20 females off of all the different types we just tested and you know i got a few friends helping but you know it's up to hannah and i to smoke test them all because um, we got to know what's going on there and um it's a difficult job man even you know you know i'm a tough fucking smoker too i wake up and i fucking go for the ball before i go for the toothbrush uh even with as hard as i smoke it's uh it's tough to to test that much uh weed and you know um to keep that many clones alive when we phenol hunt it's 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 really it, it it puts us to the limits you know especially with uh all the responsibilities we have so
0: yeah it would it would be no minor undertaking that's for sure so here's here's the hypothetical okay cookies comes to you, and they're like, Bob, we've got these huge facilities for you you can you can do you can have a little bit of freedom. We're gonna be running like cookies cross m ten stuff like that. Do you do it? Can you change the image?
1: No, I can't and um honestly. You know, I I definitely, if it's not my way, it's definitely the highway type of thing. You know, um, like I said, I have years and years of work and um, the amount of different directions I can take, you know, and the amount of sativa work I could get into and do would just be years worth of work in. With me, you know, saying that problem about having the smoke test, I'm gonna keep with the Afghanis, uh, just for that reason, because that's uh, what I want to smoke. But um for I wish I could get into playing with the sativas more just for the preservation aspect, because I have some really good sativas in my arsenal. But
0: it's interesting you bring that up because I know that there's some really nice ones in there. I actually wanted to ask you because I've given some of these seeds to some friends of mine who are going to grow them out, you gave me a cross called the Shire Cross Haze. And I remember you telling me about the Shire, and then I kind of forgot the story. I just remember, like, New York guys long flowering or something. Um, have you ever been able to grow out those seeds? And what was the story around the Shire again?
1: I haven't grown those seeds out Um the male was the A5 Haze tie bred by Karma that Bodhi selected, that was the father of the band Haze. That was the male I used um, for that. Um, Shire is Super Silver Sour Diesel by uh, the Rat, Res Dog. Um, selected in upstate New York. In, Highly coveted up there. That's all they want to smoke. Um, she goes 100 days, 120 days. Really, really high quality smoke. I thought it would pair well with the A5 Haze Thai. I and, um, just gave that one away. Often to anyone that's into sativas that's around, I'll pass that one out. And, um, I had a friend grow it in Jamaica, and he said it was really good. But besides that, I don't think anyone's finished it and that male produces gold so that female with being such high quality there's going to be some amazing stuff in there hopefully your friends find it
0: wow that's cool maybe might even bring the flower time down a little bit
1: yeah that male is uh surprisingly fast um i've seen him i've crossed into a lot of things and i've seen out the results from a lot of the others and that that male produces gold
0: Interesting. Well, I mean, if we just loop back to the, the silly cookies question I gave you a moment ago, partly why I brought it up is because I really like the offering you guys have done with Pastry Chef. I love the name, it's a cool name, um, being biscotti cross the M10. What does the biscotti bring to the table in your mind compared to, say, just another cookie cut? Do you think it's sort of your preferred one or is it just one that you're you know willing to put up with because it's slightly better than the others
1: so i keep cuts like that around to pass to friends of mine i just give them to them free so they can pay their bills production cuts that's how we did it in the 90s we didn't sell cuts um we gave them to friends that were good friends that would do stuff for you if you were you know you needed someone to have your back that's the type of person would have your back. So you, you give them, you pass those cones to those people. So, you know, they can have a better life, you know? And, um, that's how we did it back then. And that's the reason I got that one around. That's the reason I got the London pound cake around. And, um, that's the reason I have the sunset sherbet around. I still give them to good friends and I got friends cropping them and they're extremely high quality. They're, uh, what the market on the West coast wants right now from, Their breedings, the Cookie Fam, those are some of my favorite ones. Some of uh, really high quality, you know, Sunset Sherbert's super high quality. Uh, The Lennon Pound Cake is super high quality and Biscotti, super high quality. Um, It's not what I want to smoke. It's not the high I really like, but you really can't deny the quality. You know, I wouldn't cross them to the Lazy Dog or, you know, any of my other worked lines, but... When it comes to a Landrace Afghani line that uh, can add some really cool sweet terpenes, I thought it would be very interesting and I thought it would uh, teach me a lot. So, and uh, that's the reason we did it. We grew out some of the biscotti cross ourselves, super high quality. Um, we found one that tastes like pineapple pie. It's fucking crazy. I've never even had pineapple pie. And this, this, this. One tastes just like fucking pineapple pie. Um, Really sweet, not like the pineapple you would get in a sativa. It's a really unique indica pastry pineapple. Another interesting note on the M10 biscotti crosses is they all went 10 weeks. Uh, The M10 didn't shorten the flower time down one bit, whereas um, I grew the Malawi Gold M10, and the Malawi Gold will go 100 days. Um, Those phenols were ready between eight and ten weeks, ger- dramatically shortened the flower time on them, but didn't shorten the flowering time down on the London Pound Cake or Sunset Sherbert either.
0: Wow, interesting. I guess there's just something about the way those two sort of click together. In a similar sort of note, I also wanted to ask you about the dinosaur cookies because that was another strain that had gotten a nice little bit of attention behind it in some recent drops. How did that one turn out in your opinion? And I guess more broadly speaking, do you have any plans to do any new crosses with the TKM10 mail?
1: So, um, the dinosaur cookies, uh, you know, I was using the TKM10 mail and I, you know, wanted to learn. You, you you were you came by and you saw all those samples and you were like, Holy shit, this is uh the most cookie uh F1s I've ever seen. You know, like the cookie phenos are popping out. You I think you gotta look through like fifteen or seventeen jars and with the uh, you know, you urging me on is one of the main reasons uh we released that one. Um it was super, super high quality, but you know, it's not any direction that I'm going to be working. Um, we did cross the m 10 to the 92 OG, and I will be working that line further. Those are some really, really nice OG phenotypes in seed form right there. And um, when I get the time, I'm going to work that even further into the OG direction, um, more of the earthy. Um, side of the family is my prefer- preferred side. The you know like the headband or the TK.
0: Wow, interesting stuff. That's cool to hear that you're going to work that one forward. A few episodes back, we actually had Green Bodie on, and he spoke about a particular purple Kush cutting he got from you, and he's just in love with it. He said it's the best thing ever. And many of the listeners on Patreon were very interested in about hearing a little bit more about this purple kush, if you could sort of describe it to us. And where does it come from? I think we always hear people say, oh, you know, it came from somewhere in Oregon. But do you know any more about it than that?
1: So, the the common purple Hindu kush cut that you're thinking about from Oregon is the, the Jaeger cut. And this is a different cut than that. Um, this one's grapey, citrus, Nag Champa, just funk. And um, it's the one that I bred to the Kabul Kush. And then I uh, took a mail off of that and I bred it to the Urkel. And um, that's our release, uh, Light of Venus, Urkel by Purple Hindu Kush, Kabul Kush. I also crossed that Purple Hindu Kush to the M10. And um Labyrinth uh tested those out for us and um they're gonna scoop all those up. Those are gonna be killer. So um I'm definitely gonna grow some of those out myself when I get to it. Um we only made like a hundred packs of them so I think uh since they helped test them they're gonna scoop them all up. But um I have Work that line quite a bit. I have the purple Hindu Kush back cross. I'm going to be picking a male out of the purple Hindu Kush back cross, taking it to F2. And at this, that time, I'll also cross it to all my uh, purple Afghani clones that I like, uh, like the Urkel, Grandaddy, Purple Afghani, stuff like that.
0: Can people expect you to be restocking any of these lines? I know historically you've, you've moved forward quite fast. If someone misses out on a pack of Light of Venus, will there be a chance to grab more or only the real powerhouses will get restocked?
1: The Light of Venus was a stepping stone, you know, so you're going to want to grab that. Um, it's been going incredibly fast, but we do have more drops coming with all the seed banks we uh, stock with. Hopefully uh, everyone will get a chance to get some. We have an amazing keeper out of that. Uh, she's just tastes so amazing and has such a nice, relaxing high. So one of our good friends we gave a sample to, and she was like, holy shit, name this after me. It's my favorite weed I've ever smoked. And, um, of course, another seed company already has a strain named after with her name and um, you know it took us a few months to come up with another name but Darcy came up with the Light of and that's uh, from a line in Terrapin it's right before uh, Crickets and Cicadas sing.
0: Ah nice.
1: So that won't get restocked but we will be working with the Purple Hindu Kush cross, which will bring more Purple Hindu Kush to the table in the Offspring and it will be crossed back to the Urkel, so it'll be very similar. It'll just have more purple Hindu Kush. The Overkill won't get restocked. Um, overkill is one I'm really, really proud of too. Um, that was a stepping stone uh, cross. You know, I used those. I used three males. They were NL1 crossed the, the Pacific Northwest hash plant, and then I crossed that to the Puck. Three males out of that for the back cross to the Puck. And I cross that to the Black Domina and um, release that. And that won't get restocked. If you're an Afghani lover, especially if you love the um, gene pools that Neville put together, um, especially if you're into the acrid, earthy type, musty basement um, with a little bit of lemon type thing, you want to scoop that one up. It's it's killer. Um, You look at a three-generation pedigree, you know, on that thing, and the top side, you get the puck, the Pacific Northwest Hash Plant, and NL1 from my side, and then the Black Domino, you get Afghani Number One M10, Northern Lights, Ortega, and Hash Plant, the Pacific Northwest Hash Plant um, through Neville, and there's some serious, serious killer stuff in there. Um, we looked through. Like 15 seeds, and they were so good. We popped a whole bunch more already, and you know they're going to be sold out. And we're just looking through them for ourselves and for for future breeding stock. um It's just another one that really clicked well, and we're really proud of, and you know that makes me really excited about the puck back cross because it's the same males that were used.
0: Yeah, nice. What a comprehensive rundown. I'm. I want to ask you about the overkill and the kill in a bit, but. Before we do, I just want to quickly bring it up because I forgot to mention one of our listeners had asked if you saw any relationship between your special Purple Hindu Kush and Jaeger, because apparently they had heard a story that that was one of the parents of Jaeger.
1: So, um, I don't know anything about that. Um, I got no knowledge on that. I do... The story on the purple Hindu Kush, I heard it was uh, an old woman used to defend it in the 215 days out in Shasta. It's just landrace Hindu Kush. Um, it's not Hindu Kush crossed by purple. Um, when I backcrossed it, I, I've already grown out a bunch of the backcrossed females. They're nothing in there but uh, Afghani. Um, so the story I heard, the plant's telling me the exact same thing. There's some really, really cool things that comes out of that plant. Lion tree grew some of the back cross out this year, full season. It came out amazing. One of them had this candied grape smell, and then behind it, it had this funky oriental noodle smell. That's the first time I had noticed that. And, um, I grew some of the purple hindu kush back cross out and uh, we found some really cool candy grape ones. Um, found one that when you open the jar, the jar stinks like peanuts. Uh, you can get that peanut butter smell from land race Afghani sometimes when you smoke it, you only taste candy, delicious, grape jelly. And, you know, I call that one, the peanut butter and jelly cut and, um, I have it in in cut form, I haven't gotten the chance to flower that one out again to see how uh, if those qualities are uh, still there in clone form because sometimes seeds are better than clones for some strange reason. Um, But I'm excited to get a second look at that one again.
0: Yeah, nice. Another question I should have asked you a little bit earlier on when we were talking about older strains and restocking them. Will you ever consider remaking any of those coastal strains that you've made in the past? Like, specifically, one of our listeners wanted to know about the Puna Butter. I know that wasn't exactly your project, but um, is there any chance of any of those strains being redone or like filial bread?
1: I will never redo any of the ones that Bamboo or Cake you did. Uh, the Puna Butter crosses was uh, Bamboo's work. Um, I tried. To uh, reduce some of the NL one. Like I said, I, I tried to pop a bunch of seeds and none of them popped. I still have some more. I'm going to, you know, uh, try a few different methods. I'm going to talk to Kegu about it. I would, uh, really like to visit NL one crosses again. Um, there's a few things I would like to add in there to see, uh, some cool, uh, Results. I have a bunch of other different really cool Northern Lights cuts now that I'd like to um, add to that reading. Um, but, um, you know, like I said, there was that pre flower problem where the males that I tried to keep alive from that. I've had that problem with other lines. I had that problem with the British Columbia Seed Club uh, release that Bodhi released. A couple of those males would pre flower. So, yeah. Um, Maybe it was meant to be that those seeds didn't pop. I might be able to get back and, and rework that line. Um, unfortunately, Classic Seeds does not want that line released pure. So it's uh, kind of a shame. But if it goes, you know, it, it, it goes with uh, Kegu and, and Classic. So they're the, the real holders to that line. Without them, I wouldn't have had access to it. And I really appreciate the access to it and um, everything KQ taught me um, about open pollinations and preservation and um, gene pools And Bam is really, really smart. You know, he taught me a lot about bottlenecking and the genetic aspects of it. So it was a shame that, you know, Coastal had to go our separate ways, but uh, I'm still focused on on doing the same thing I was doing there and getting these uh, classic Indicas in the seed form and uh, recreate what I remember in the 90s uh, as good NL crosses, good NL hash plant crosses and stuff like that has been lost.
0: Yeah, admirable goal, admirable goal. I mean, just to quickly clarify, out of those prior NL1 crosses you did, which one was your personal favorite? I see there's still a huge amount of demand for puck. Yeah,
1: puck. Yeah is Fuck, man, that one's killer. I have ten to fifteen, maybe twenty packs of those. I'm just sitting on, and I'm like I said, I have so much work I've done over the years, and so many directions I could go, man. I just I need. Different spots, you know, because you can't just contaminate pollen and because it's just all useless then. So I can only do it one project at a time. And, then, and it's a lot of time and hard work to actually test stuff out, you know. Um, that's where uh, all the learning comes from. You know, I don't know how these breeders do it. They uh, just sell untested seeds, man. Uh, growing it out is the funnest part and learning from the crosses is the most rewarding part. So if anyone out there is uh, wanting to know how to become a good breeder, you need to grow. You need to grow your crosses and you need to grow as many different types of plants as possible. You need to know what you like and you need to know what you're looking for. Growing your crosses out in as large quantities as uh, you can, it's going to teach you what's there and what you have and it'll teach you about the gene pool
0: Yeah, some wise words there. On the topic of a slightly different NL, I noticed that in the pterodactyl cross you released, it's NL 2x5. Is this something you made? Is it different stock? And what sort of traits does this male bring to the table?
1: That male was another open pollination. That line is amazing. Amazing line. Um, I was doing an open pollination with F2 seed stock when I made that cross. And um, the F2 seeds were made by Canorado. The F1 seeds were made by Jim Ortega. So it's Jim Ortega's seed stock. You know, I love, I'm really happy with that line. Um, I need to, you know, talk to Bodie about it because I don't talk to Jim Ortega myself and I don't want to step on anybody's toes, but I would definitely um, love to take that one to F4 and share that one with the public. When I um, made the F3s, I put in the NL2 clone, and um, that was Jim Ortega's stock. And we just gave those away as freebies because it it didn't seem right. You know, he's the the caretaker of that line for so long, and then I just get a couple pieces, and for me to be the person to cash in, that's just not the way I like to do things. I like to stay in my own lane. With that being said, I am going to ask uh, Bodhi if he can ask Jim if I uh, release that NF4. It needs to be out there in the public. It's one of the best uh, NL lines there is.
0: That's killer and that's so exciting to hear. I guess the reason why I'm asking you about all these various Northern Lights varieties and the crosses you've done is because I'm just sort of trying to get a feel for all the different ones and what they bring. Which one to you is the best, if you could only pick one, and what is maybe a unique trait about each one of them versus the others? If we just think about the three ones we've spoken about, be it the NL5, the NL1, and the 2x5.
1: Great question. The best line is either the NL1 or the 2x5. I would love to get into those together. Those are the two NL lines in seed form that um, remind me of uh the 90s nls um i'm spacing out the guys uh seed company um they used to be lighthouse seeds and then they split up they have some really nice nl they crossed their uh five by two and those guys have a really nice nl seed line and uh, sucks i'm spacing out um their their new name but uh they split up and um most of the NL lines on, on the market these days don't remind me of NL at all from the 90s. And those ones that I just mentioned have little bits and pieces of the quality NLs in them, but it's not the whole picture. And um, that's why I said when something like the, the Brute X you know, almost reminds me of a really high quality Northern lines from the 90s better than these pure inbred lines just because uh, everything in that I believe goes back to Northern lights and the Finos you know just are, are coming through right they express themselves. there's a few NLs I haven't got to check out I haven't got to check out deep Elms. Um, I got to look through AK Bean brains NL5 by um, one that wasn't exactly what I was looking for but I have a really nice keeper cut of AK Bean brains NL1. And um, she seems like what I remember. And um, she seems really nice, similar, similar type plant structure to the puck. So.
0: Yeah, killer, killer. Oh,
1: dude, I'm down to
0: take a bong and get some water for sure. Hey, oh, how you doing? I just spilled my chop bowl, god damn it.
1: I just, uh, took two bong, it's overkill now. I'm going to do a again, Daddy.
0: Oh, yeah. What's the overkill taste like?
1: Acrity, earthy, musty, really nice Afghani.
0: So I've been, um, ever since I had it, I've really missed that train wreck BX with the tie. I had while I was at your place. It was so nice.
1: Yeah, that was the A5 Hayes tie mail. The, the one that uh, Karma bred that buddy, selected.
0: Uh, so good.
1: For sure. The mail... Uh, Produced fucking fire. I bred him to this Purple Congo land race cut, and um, this guy grew some around here in Humboldt, um, and it was fucking amazing. That male just produced well with everything. That's why I said uh, those uh, Shire Super Silver Haze, Super Silver Sour Diesel crossed by uh, Super Silver Haze, by that male should just have some phenomenal stuff in the gene pool.
0: Do you ever plan to work with the train wreck line or the train wreck BX any further, or is more of just like a one off to get it in seed?
1: So, you know, it's hard to um, communicate with the, the seed market and the stuff over uh, Instagram and stuff. You know, I wish uh, I could just sell all my seeds directly and talk to the people when they bought them, you know, and tell them about what's in there directly, you know. I think a lot of the seed buyers want everything to be perfectly worked and to have zero uh, hermaphrodites and be the perfect seeds, you know, just like you would get with tomato seeds. Unfortunately, cannabis hasn't been worked as much, and I don't even know, um, even with it being worked as hard, if, you know, you can eliminate her- hermaphrodite traits from certain lines completely. Because you get them in so many different environments and people feed differently and put plants too close together, put lights too close to plants. There's a lot of different things that are trigger hermaphrodites uh, that wouldn't even happen normally, you know? Like all the chem clones will hermaphrodite if you do the wrong things to them. But if you treat them right, they won't hermaphrodite. Um you don't want to have them too root bound. You don't want to have them too close to the lights. You don't want to have them too crammed together. Those are things that'll cause the actual chem cuts, the 91 and the D to hermaphrodite. So of course it's gonna cause their seeds to do the same thing. So, you know, I would really like to get that train wreck back cross out to the public, but Am I going to be able to get it, um, stable enough? I don't know. Um, I've talked to, um, Shaba, the person who has, uh, the most experience back crossing different clones, and he said he had tried to do the train wreck a few times, and it always was just hermaphrodite mess, you know? So, what I'm looking with now, um... There's about 25% hermaphrodites in the train wreck back cross one. I had mentioned in my last podcast, I'm not the biggest fan of train wreck. Um, you know, it's the type of terpenes that can kind of get played out if you sm- smoke it for a long period of time. That being said, some of the stuff that I found in the back crosses was really phenomenal and um, just really uh, cool. You know, like some, more garlic expressions, um, some more leather expressions brought to the typical train wreck uh, uh pine saw cleaner, uh, lemon pledge type of smell you know kind of stuck like i had mentioned earlier i have so many projects i don't know how much time i can devote to that project and get it stable enough to where i feel comfortable releasing it to the public and um you know i thought about releasing the bx1 because i'll i i do not know if i'm ever gonna bx to it or uh get F to it 3F4 stabilize it you know and I could release it and there's amazing phenos to be found in there and even more amazing breeding stock um, to be found and you know the possibilities to take it to F3 and F4 and stabilize it and look at large n- numbers and you know only breed with the stable ones the potential to bring amazing lines is in there so you know it's it's a tough spot to be in but as of right now it's 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 shelved and it's just kind of sitting on the shelf and I don't know
0: what I'm going to do with it. Interesting, interesting. Maybe it'll pop its head back out when you get a chance to delve into some of that more sativa work. But I wanted to loop back quickly to a strain you mentioned earlier. I should have asked you. That should be the theme of this interview, just missing my opportunities. But the London Pound Cake is an interesting strain for a few reasons, because it's being used by Cookie Fam, but it hasn't made quite the same impact as many of the other cookie cuts have. What's your impressions of it, and do you think it breeds well? I think they've just done a better
1: job, um, not letting that one get out. Unfortunately, uh, I think uh, Jigger doesn't like his stuff getting out, and you know, um, his stuff constantly gets out, and it's—I uh, can't imagine being him. How, how painful that's uh, got to be, especially when you don't want it out there because it's amazing shit. That being said, this one came from Growing with Passion. He got it from Jigger. Him and uh, Dela did a breeding with um, that serious male from South Fork Seeds. Uh, it's uh, Shabud 707 Chem Dog bred to Stardog. I, I took a male off of that. I bred that to Chem D and I passed them some seeds. And they bred that to wedding cake. And Burner named the strain Medine. And. Um, I got that London pound cake back as a thank you. I am not exactly sure what number it is. It was one of the keepers. really like it. It it, it produces uh, mega weight. Um, I pass it to a friend's mine up here in Humboldt that are production growers, and they're getting up to three pounds of light with it. The shit um, will go purple if you give it any kind of cold. It's super chirpy. It's... Uh, It's really good. I definitely wouldn't have run with it if I didn't think it was really good and it could bring some really cool stuff to the table. I know it's a Sunset Sherbert cross. I'm not exactly sure what it was crossed to. I really like the Sunset Sherbert. Besides the original cookies cuts, uh, the Sunset Sherbert is my favorite thing that that crew has done. And then behind the Sunset Sherbert and, and my personal, uh, would be uh, probably London pound cake and biscotti, and not really a fan of the chiladas, but I think the London pound cake is uh, pretty cool. And as far as a cut for production for work right now, it's, it's, a, it's a really killer cut to have.
0: What a great answer! It makes me want to quickly ask you: Are there any other cuts that are really hot in the scene at the moment, you know, sort of ones in that hype category? that you're kind of fond of like for example you know maybe maybe like you know you really like mac or whatever i love mac people say weird stuff about it i think it's great is there any current hype cuts that you're particularly fond of no i
1: really recognize and uh respect everyone's uh marketing abilities with that kind of thing but uh most of the stuff that's really getting a lot of play right now i don't like all the cookie stuff, down from the cookies, Sunset sherbet, Gelato, Biscotti, Crosses, it all has a certain type of high. I really don't like it. Um, I love the weed when you're just judging quality weed. Tastes great, smokes great, gets you high as fuck, especially if you don't have anything else or you haven't had anything else. Um, it's really nice weed. But when you have the options of some of the classic highs that I have in my arsenal, um The high from that stuff is just a little bit flat, in my opinion.
0: Yeah, no, fair point, fair point. I I always find it interesting to find the different types of highs that people like. Um, Another sort of comparison I was hoping to get from you is I think you've probably got more experience with different types of Afghanis than anyone. And a few of our listeners were interested in hearing if you could tell us sort of what the different type of Afghanis you've come across are in terms of like your broadleaf and your thin leaf and the effects. Like do you just think that most Afghanis are either like a body high or a head high or do you think there's a lot more diversity within it? And, and I guess kind of maybe another way to summarize it is, what do you think when someone says, oh, you know, an indica an indica? Do you feel like, nah, that's not really true? Or where do you sit on that with the Afghanis?
1: Man, I definitely don't think an indica is an indica. There's definitely different effects of indicas. I like the stuff from the Hindu Kush mountain ranges, from the highland. Those are my favorites. I've noticed two major types. The, the sweeter, berry, Afghanis, grapes, berries, and then the more acrid, uh, earthy, musty basement types. Uh, you know, some families are a combination of the two they have both in the gene pool or some plants carry both uh, qualities but as you get closer to pakistan you're you're going to get more terps in, in the weed um pakistani weed is a little more terpy, a little more branchy as you get more southern in afghanistan you get out of the hindu kush mountain range are plants that have longer internode spacings um more sativa influence in the gene pool. I wish I had more land race Afghanis to learn from. You know, those are not my best uh, teaching tools. That and the land race Paki lines. All the land race Paki lines I've encountered have been through Bodhi. I've increased the vintage Pakistani from Bodhi twice. Um, I have his Peshawar Paki. I bought seven packs of that, probably more packs than anyone else i am need to get into those here really soon you know there there's no better teachers than the plants and i just try to grow as many different land race lines as possible i wish i could uh release them all uh, unfortunately um people are, are kind of uh protective over them and i understand it's kind of like i had mentioned about jim ortega stock he has all that awesome now that he's never really profited off of and it didn't really seem fair for me to sell the the nl2 by nl2 by 5 from him so i just gave it away for free because i just acquired it it's kind of like that with land race um as i do several increases with them i feel like i'm more entitled to share them with the public but when i just uh get something right away and just want to cash it out it just it, it just doesn't seem right i have a, a lot of respect for this plant i you know i'm Turned down lots of money for clones, 10 Gs before. I've never sold clones ever. So I just, uh, I, we're just guardians of this plant. And I just try to do uh, do right by her. And she does right by me. And it's such a, a, a teaching plant that, you know, one of the lessons that's taught me is not to be greedy and show respect. Everything has its time, so.
0: Nice, nice. Uh, A good sort of mantra to strive to. Speaking about time, what's your thoughts on some of the Indicas we saw in the 90s that would largely be described as sort of like creeper Indicas, you know, where they had like a really slow onset and then they would just hit you super hard. It seems like that sort of strain isn't really around anymore. Do you think that we've lost them over time or that it was just more of a reflection of like the availability of good quality bud and people just being reminiscent about those sorts of high quality weed when it didn't come around very often?
1: Well, to notice that effect, you got to be sober when you smoke that creeper weed and then you got to smoke no other weed for a while until that creeper effect creeps up on you. To be honest, I do have uh, some crosses that do have that aspect. Some of the M10 is kind of like a creeper Afghani. The Purple Hindu Kush will creep up on you. Um, The Purple Hindu Kush crosses will creep up on you. But like I said, you got to be sober when you smoke them and then you got to smoke them and then just not smoke anything for a while to kind of like have notice that effect. If you're just like at an Emerald Cup, situation where you're there smoking tons of different weed and you're high as fuck already you you're not even going to notice uh something like that, you know?
0: Yeah, that's a very valid point, isn't it? You got to it's about set and setting as well. Hmm.
1: Yeah, definitely very important. You, you notice that creeper effect a lot of times when you smoke some weed and then you go into a store.
0: <laughs> <laughs> there you go, there you go. Another question we got was, are you able to describe the differences between your two different black domino cuts, the 95 versus the Healing Harvest one?
1: Okay. So, the 95 is more um, that acrid, earthy, musty basement, um, almost bubba kush funky sometimes uh, type of thing. And then... The uh, Healing Harvest has more of, more chirps. just, it's really hard to describe the smell. It's almost like a, a Tupperware plastic smell with like garlic behind it. So I had read on um, Mr. Nice forums where Neville said, At some point, he switched out the recipe for the Black Domina. He switched out the Afghani one, the M10, and he switched in garlic bud in its place. So I wonder if the um, Healing Harvest is uh, after switched out the garlic bud, because it kind of has that garlic thing going on. The garlic bud would have brought a little bit more sativa to the um, gene pool. The original Black Domina was pretty much 100% indica being... Hashplant, Ortega, Northern Lights, and Afghani number 1 M10. He uh, mentioned that he didn't like the Afghani number 1. I wonder if that's just because it came from Sam. You know, because when you look back in history, if you look back at the Afghani 1 M10, it's probably behind more uh, strains than any other uh, land race Afghani. You know, JJ used it in his work, it's in the Kwai Electric, it's in Snow Lotus, Blockhead. Um, I can't think of them all right now, but it, 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 the amount of strains that uh, go back to Afghani number one is uh, truly impressive.
0: Yeah, I mean, I've only ever really tried one sample that was given to me as Afghani number one, and it was some really, really nice stuff. I mean, speaking of cuts where there's different ones of it out there and talking about the differences, there was some interest around the different headband cuts. Can you give us a rundown on your headband? And is it the same one that other people use or is your one unique?
1: So I can't say what what the other people use, but um, I do know that my cut has been passed around a lot. I passed it to Duke Diamond. Um, Not So Dog has it. You know, it's really um, good cut. It's renamed OG. Had to get renamed. The person that renamed it reminded them of uh, Weasel's headband. So that's the reason he used the name. Um, had that same headband kind of effect on your head. So there's that headband. Um, Not-so-dog calls it the 56-day headband. He also has uh, Lupus headband. And that's pretty similar, but um, different. I like mine much better. There's also the LA Kush headband that Not So Dog holds. That one's more like Sour Diesel. Mandel brought, brought that one up from LA. That one's fucking amazing. And then there's a 707 headband that DNA released. And there's some really good Keeper finos in that too that I've seen. So Weasel's original headband, which I don't think is alive anymore. So there's a ton of different headmans and it's really confusing topic and that's about all I know about that one.
0: No, that's a great rundown. I think that's what we were sort of hoping to touch on. And likewise, in a recent episode we spoke with Mean Gene about big sir holyweed and what was interesting was he kind of mentioned that he got some seeds which might be one of the parent lines that made the big sir holyweed it's sort of a longer story i won't go into it all but it relates to this strain called dolores did you ever get the backstory from Kagu on the big sir holyweed or just from anyone even like what have you heard about its origins and the stuff you work with under coastal was that from Kagu's collection or how were those seeds acquired
1: so uh KQ got his Big Sur holy weed from a surfer guy. That's what he told me. And um KQ's an old timer, you know, he's getting close to eighty at this point. And uh he's the oldest dude I know that smokes weed still and grows and he's like the OG of OGs. I've never, you know, met him anyone even close. So he's been around Santa Cruz his whole life, you know, and seen the evolution of cannabis since, you know, when the Brotherhood was bringing in stuff. So his perspectives are just, like, so valuable. To him, the Mexican blocks that built the the Big Sur Holy, from what I know, it's an Afghani-Mexican cross, Zacatecas, purple Zacatecas. I think Dolores is a town near there. Um, they're two towns, two right in the same region. That's uh, all I know about that. I do know his Pixar Holy Line is super high quality. I don't have any of that seed stock. You know, it's super high quality stuff. I wish I did. At one point, I had a keeper cut to grew it out in um, Colorado. Some samples got the Adam done, and. It reminded him of the same Big Sur hole holy that was in Sage. It's really good weed, really interesting gene pool. And he just told me he got it from some surfer and he had had it for quite some time and then done a few in- seed increases on it. That's all I know about that. He'd have to elaborate further.
0: Yeah, nice. A good little background on that one. I think it's one where we'll always sort of be trying to figure out the exact truth around it you were talking about the uh, LA pure kush headband and a few other strains just shortly ago which of the pure kush cuts is the best for hash in your opinion
1: i'm not really a hash maker so you know, i i like to learn from the plant and um honestly i think i in the last few years i've been wanting the uh, to make hash more than ever just to learn about the different types of calyxes and the way they make hash and the different strains i have so i can relate their qualities to hash makers because i'm not really a hash maker so i i really don't have any uh knowledge or any uh field i've never made hash really i've made keef a few times but that was in the 90s
0: yeah, no, fair enough answer, fair enough answer. One of our listeners did want to ask what you know about the history of your master kush cutting and what's it like as a cultivar? I think this is an interesting question because a lot of people enjoy master kush, but it seldomly tests very high. So it's one of those older ones that is truly old school in that it, it it's good weed, but the numbers don't reflect it. What do you know about the backstory on it? So I've had
1: it since um probably around 2010 maybe uh, a few years longer than that i I got it from a friend that really knows good weed and he knows a lot of people he's a, a a glass uh seller he sells you know uh glass artwork and um travels around a lot he brought it up from new mexico I had heard it came from Florida to New Mexico. Um, She's really, really special. She has uh, one of the most relaxing, calming buzzes. Um, Perfect for like watching a movie and just sitting there and relaxing. You're going to just soak right into the the plot and think about nothing else. Um, I'm definitely. Going to get to a project, a master kush project. I'm going to search through a few different crosses I made with that master kush across the bull kush and um, a few others. And Mean Gene actually gave me some deep chunk master kush seeds. I'm going to look through those and find the best line that I think uh, amplifies the math, master kush qualities and, and bring that one to, to seed form as uh, a, a, a goal. And I also have the SoCal Master. I want to work into that project and just got um, old Master Kush from Eugene, Oregon, and really excited to work that project.
0: Wow, no no shortage of projects on the horizon is there. I love it. you're keeping yourself busy. When you're doing one of these projects, Do you pop a certain number of seeds or is it like I just pop all the seeds of that line I have? What's your number of seeds you like to pop to search through things?
1: 40 or 50 um, minimum. I like to ideally uh, do more, but um, I I hear people on Instagram a lot say, you know, I got a pack so I can get a mail. You know, 12 seeds is not, you need at least twice, three times, four times that many. You know, really look through the population and you need to be uh, familiar with the gene pool and uh, what you're looking for really helps. Um, somebody had just mentioned to me on Instagram that they got the Urkel cut and it's down from me. And um, they wanted to buy a pack of Light of Venus to make a back cross. And I was like, well, don't buy one pack, buy four, grow that Oracle clone out three or four times so you get familiar with it know what you're dealing with what you're looking for and then pop those four packs and then you'll know what you're looking for in a male to bring to the table for your back cross you know the bigger your selections the better your end results and i look at it this way if you're not finding keepers in the females there's not going to be keepers in the males and it's as simple as that
0: So, I mean, it begs the question, have you got any new tips for us about how to select a male? Do you think it differs from strain to strain or are there any golden characteristics where if you see that thing on any strain, you're like, yep, I want it?
1: I think it uh, differs from strain to strain and what type of qualities you want that male to bring to the table.
0: Okay. Okay. I was going to say on the topic of popping seeds, which we just spoke about, are there any new lines you're thinking about going through or any new seed stock you've been given that you're excited to pop next?
1: Wow. Um, You know, right now I'm going through Overkill, Black Muddy River, um, and both the Black Domino's Cross to the M10, you know, testing the M10 black dominance for release and then also running all those different crosses head to head to see which is the best one to um, further a black dominant project. So those seeds are going now, but I'm really excited about that. I'm also growing OG Kush, Lazy Dog, um, Headband, Lazy Dog, Ethiopian, Banana M10, Malawi M10, Panama Red M10 and um more brood x popped a bunch more brood x because that shit's just ridiculous i'm like couldn't be happier with that and i popped a bunch of lazy dogs i want to look through more of those um before i take the line f2 and f3 i don't want to miss anything
0: wow there's some some nice projects in the mix there i noticed that I feel like there's a distinct lack of banana crosses in the market. And you just mentioned one. Do you plan to do any further work with the banana lines? And I'm guessing you just use the banana OG as the base?
1: No, that's the Ethiopian Highland uh, Banana Cut Bodhi Selected. And she is amazing. Two to one CBD.
0: What's the high like? Do you still feel the psychoactive side or the CBD is just too high?
1: No, you, you definitely uh, get high. Um, I'm not as familiar with that one as the Panama Red, but, you know, the Panama Red cut I used is the 2-to-1, the grandmother to the Coastal Seeds uh, CBD release that I did. So that, that cut is 2-to-1 CBD, and she definitely gets you high, and she'll get you fucked up. And she can produce everything cannabinoid-wise, uh, GHCV, CBG, CBD, THC. It's going to be cool to get that one out there because I've seen some of the testers grow that already and it looked phenomenal. I had to grow that one myself before I released it to see how good it was.
0: That's awesome. And when, like, what sort of plants would you expect when you're crossing it with such a strong indica?
1: Man, they really look like M10. I'm shocked. And I had grown the Malawi M10. Um, M- Malawi Gold m tends out already and it shortened the, the flowering time down dramatically, you know, almost 50%. So I'm assuming it's going to do the same thing, especially with how Indica looking the first few sets of leaves are with the Panama Red. And um, testers that finished it said it, it it didn't go 10 weeks. So really excited about that one.
0: Hell yeah! And do do you see the banana flavor translating through it all, or is it dominated by the uh, the indica as well?
1: Well, I haven't um, grown those ones out. There's a few testers that got those in flower now, but the Ethiopian bananas um, have not by M10 haven't been finished yet.
0: Okay, yeah, because I think I remember Bodhi saying that it was like a different sort of banana flavor to the banana OG. Is that correct?
1: Yeah, yeah, it is, but it's very banana. It's unmistakable and um, just really loud, especially for a land race cut. She's special.
0: Yeah, wow. That'll be, that'll be interesting to see how it turns out. You mentioned the overkill as one of the lines you're thinking about popping more seeds of, and it made me remember back to our first chat where you referenced a strain from your youth you were looking to recreate called the kill. And um, I was wondering if you had made any further progress in attempting to recreate it. And is that something you're still sort of working towards long term or have you sort of decided on pursuing other projects?
1: When I uh, think of high-grade cannabis that I'm trying to get in the seed form with these NL lines, that's definitely like what I'm aiming for and um, that quality. Um, Obviously, I don't have any of that seed stock or um, I have similar related plants but uh, I'm trying to work with what I have to recreate that quality as best as I can and I'm very happy with the direction I'm headed and what we have achieved uh, so far with that.
0: Where is it up to I remember is it the case that you've you've put it together and you're working through it now or are you looking to sort of recombine some extra things into the picture? So, I, I've
1: recreated the cross. It was very good and very close, but not as good. I did Airborne G13, which is NL2 by G13, to my NL hash plant mouse. That creates the, the, the pedigree for the kill. It was NL hash plant, NLG13. Those are really phenomenal, really nice plants. But as far as me achieving that goal, I'm not done. I, I think I need to keep working these lines a little bit further and just follow what the plants tell me. But I think if I uh, I have an airborne cross, if I get into those two uh, gene poles and cross those with something like the Brood X, I might be pretty darn close.
0: Yeah, wow, okay, that's... That's exciting, cause that's what just like one cross away, possibly, and then a pheno hunt.
1: Yeah, everything we've been dropping along these lines, I'm really, really happy with and really proud of to be getting it out there into the gene pool. So, uh, it, if I can recreate something as good as something I remember in my youth, is that even possible? You know, I'm not quite sure, cause I think it, the way we remember things, uh, everything uh, from Certain point in time is kind of special. A lot of people remember, uh, you know, or, or never get over talking about their high school years. I have certain friends that every single time I want to talk to them, they want to talk about my high school years and stuff. You know, the golden age was that weed that good, or was it? I just wasn't used to weed that good, and that was a special time in my life. It, it's something I'm never going to be quite sure on.
0: Yeah, it's interesting. I think that tolerance definitely plays some part in it all having taken a few tolerance breaks over the past year or so when i come back it's a different sort of high like you you can get to this point where you just you can't like you you're you're almost like useless like you're just debilitated it's interesting but the tolerance comes back reasonably quickly i've found but i think you can probably make something better but I don't know. I feel like when I'm smoking good weed after a tolerance break, it's hard to tell it's super good because it's just like any weed would get me super high.
1: Yeah. And back then in the 90s, we were uh, smoking a lot of swag, And, you know, sometimes the, the kill would come around and when we were uh, smoking Mexican brick weed that was a year old, you know?
0: Yeah. I mean, God, it would make a difference then.
1: <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, like, if I could take some of this... uh killer female at Brood X I found and I took back that, you know, to the 90s, you know, I think it, it would be just as good. It just might be, you know, how I remember stuff from my youth and not having that high quality of weed back then.
0: Yeah, okay, interesting. Well, I mean, it raises the idea, you know, you've got that female of the Brood X, Would you ever consider doing feminized seeds and like just using that female of the brood X you've already found that is what you want and just crossing stuff to the female? And as a general question, would crickets and cicada ever do feminized seeds?
1: So um, that female is really good. And if I, you know, have stuff like that, I might do it, you know, especially if people want feminized seeds from a line of mine. I just don't have much desire to go around feminizing. Uh, you know elite clones you know maybe if it's something we've isolated after you know several generations of our own work that would make more sense to me but
0: yeah interesting I think that there's a lot of people who are so interested in all of the elite clones you've got in your library that they sort of are begging the question you know would you ever do S1s of the Red Lebanese hash plan of these really rare cuts the purple Hindu Kush um, or is that less interesting to you than doing out-crosses with them?
1: It's uh, definitely less interesting. Uh, the most interesting is to try to get those clones in the seed form using as uh, pure Afghani crosses that are similar as possible and uh, to bring them to the market in seed form. That's the most exciting to me. I definitely see value in S1-ing them and getting that out to the public. I just uh, it's not what I'm gonna devote my time to right now.
0: Yeah, understandable. Well there you go. At least I mean at least it's a it's a possibility on the horizon if you ever wanted to pursue it further. I wanted to quickly ask you about one of your new strains, Kinebud. Cool name. It's kinda of surprising it hasn't been taken thus far, but it's generated a lot of interest, particularly I think because of the Maui dog as one of the parents, but also the photos, has been looking killer. What is the flavors and traits people can expect from the kind bud and the sort of effect?
1: Man, that stuff is really, really good, and it's got a really, really awesome high. It's got that's the reason we went with kind bud. It's got a really just makes you feel uh happy. It's got that old school '90s weed vibe. The Maui dog is a Chem '91 backseat, most likely an S1. Really nice. Camfino's in there. It's a, it's a good one, man. It, it you know It's something that I'd be happy smoking on all day long, every day. That's uh, one of Hannibal's favorites lately. She's been smoking that a lot. We didn't see any plants that weren't really, really good. They were all really, really good. They're a little bit picky in early veg, not the strongest plants that probably comes back to it going back to chem 91 possibly three times in two generations it really uh as they get bigger they get stronger and really uh turns into high quality weed if you flower them out right because about 65 days maybe uh, a little longer a little shorter depending upon the female
0: awesome stuff do you favor the shorter flowering phenos, the longer ones or do you think it's sort of independently a variable of the keeper pheno. It could be a long or it could be a short. There's another trait you sort of look for is the one you decided is the keeper.
1: Man, there's some really killer stuff in there. I haven't really looked through as large of a population as I would like and at some point I will be looking through more of those because they're of such high quality. I think the best phenos in that are just really a lot like chem lead you know like the 91 chem not the chem d they're they're turning out like the 91 and um if you get a pack of that definitely keep cuts that's what i would say about that one
0: nice so something a few people had asked me to get in this episode was do you have any plans to do any collaborations in the future
1: no plans in the immediate future
0: too much on the cards already I'm pretty busy
1: and I like to stay in my own lane.
0: Yeah, okay. So we're not going to see the uh, Crickets and Cicada Cookies collab?
1: Oh, I don't think me and Jake are going to have a collab anytime soon. Duke and I have talked about it in the past. I uh, jokingly said, let's hit the four-way with your skunk mail and hit the Virginia Beach, Afghani with the M10. Oh, yeah. And he said we'd start way too many seed banks with that one. I've always heard the rumor that the Virginia Beach Afghani is um, town Afghani one.
0: I think it is. I've had similar Afghani one that reminded me of the Virginia Beach one.
1: Yeah, they remind me of each other too. So
0: Interesting stuff. Okay. And then last question I wanted to ask you before we get into the final five is, are there any old world cuts or land races that you've got your eye on you haven't been able to get yet but you'd love to get into your collection?
1: Uh, just more, uh, Afghani and packy lines. You know, I prefer, uh, old stock that's been sitting in somebody's dome canister or seed drawer. That seems to be the best ones. Um, they're hard to come up with. I have a couple hundred seeds I got from a friend here in Hubble County that he got from a friend. That's, uh, best Afghani lines that this guy had ever seen. And honestly, I'm scared to get into them because if they don't crack, it's done. If anybody knows anything about tissue culture and seeds, hit me up.
0: Wow, yes, please. Anyone who's got some info on tissue culture, please reach out. That would be incredible. All right, on to the final quickfire questions. Here's hopefully some new ones since we last spoke. What's been the... I wouldn't say the best, but what's been some weed you've had in the last couple of years that really blew you away with how good it was? Maybe you weren't expecting it to be particularly good, but just really hit the spot for you.
1: The Sensi cut that I used for the Brood X, I got it from JJ. Um, He said I'd like it, and he was right. And she's super high quality, and she passed those qualities on to the Brood X. I'm extremely happy with that, actually. Grew a bunch of the Sensi Star out with the Brood x and I barely even touched the Sensi Star. The Bru x is so good.
0: Some nice stuff. I think I was lucky enough to try some of that when I was with you and really nice stuff indeed. So on the other end of the spectrum, what's some weed that was really hyped up to you by some friends or someone and eventually you try it and you were just like a bit disappointed?
1: uh gelato was pretty hyped up but that was a few years ago but i you know that stuff never lived up to the hype to me um that's about it that i can think of
0: good stuff for all the weed you must try i guess that's not a bad list there so all right if i'm going to drop you off on a deserted island and you can grow three strains for the rest of your life which three are you going to take with you
1: are we talking clones or we can i take three of my seed lines
0: yeah, you could take uh, three of your seed lines if you prefer, or you can take a clone.
1: I would take Lazy Dog, Brood X, and Overkill.
0: Wow, and you just think you'd be able to mix and match enough with those to get everything you wanted?
1: Yeah, I'd be able to bring everything I wanted out of the gene pools, the chem, the northern Lights, the hash plant. They're all extremely potent. The lazy dogs, I'm growing a bunch more of them out. I'm planning on taking that line to F3, and it's just really good smoke. And the Brood X came out exceptional. Just, uh, I'm really stoked with the way it's smoking out, and it's super potent. And the hardest part is finding one that, you know, is not a keeper.
0: Yeah, always a good challenge that one when deciding what. What you can't keep because there's too many good ones. So on the other end of the spectrum, you're going to drop someone off to this desert island who you're not particularly fond of, and you're going to leave them with three strains. What three are you going to leave them with?
1: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. That's just ruthless. We're going to give them the Gelato 33 and the 41. (laughs) And um, uh, what else are we going to give them? Runtz
0: the same thing. Love it. Exactly.
1: <laughs> have fun with that, Gene
0: <laughs> Hey, it made me think. Did you see that post from Shabinsky the other day where he's like, these are the original gelato seeds?
1: No, I didn't see that one.
0: He posted a photo where there must have been like at least two, 300 seeds in there, I reckon. And I was thinking, there's no way those are the original seeds. You would have popped them already.
1: Man, yeah, I don't know anything about that crew. I just uh, have a lot of respect for uh, how they marketed those strains and the way they changed the game with them. That's that's what I got to say about that one.
0: There you go. All right. Well, on to our last question. What's one aspect or thing about the industry or the community, however you want to phrase it, that you would change if possible that you think would make a big difference?
1: I would change legalization. I would change it to more legalization, not just corporate ramped up cannabis. I think it should be free for everyone to grow in every state as many plants as they want, to, to give it away to anyone, to sell to anyone. That's what legal things should be. You know, there's all this talk on Instagram lately of all these big brands that want to get rid of home grows in these states that are becoming legal, man. That's exactly the thing that I would get rid of in the industry. Hard to call the cannabis community at at this point.
0: Nice. What an awesome sentiment. So I think that just about brings us to the end of the episode today. Were there any comments or shout-outs you wanted to make?
1: Huge shout-out to Hannibal. None of this would be possible without her and Really wanna thank everyone for their support, all the likes and comments on Instagram and everyone that buys a pack. And it's always a pleasure to talk to you. Uh you make the interview really easy with your awesome questions and I had a great time. Thanks for having me.
0: Uh you're too kind, my friend. I enjoyed chatting with you likewise. And also, you know, shout out to Hannibal. We appreciate her. So once again, a big thank you to one half of the dynamic duo behind Crickets and Cicada. Mr. Bob, thanks for coming on the show.
1: Thanks a lot, man.
0: there you have it my friends a huge thank you to Mr. Bob Hempel and to Hannah Bolt for all the work they do and specifically Mr. Bob for coming on the show I hope you enjoyed this episode I really liked it and I hope you took as much away from it as I did As always though, these episodes could not happen without our fantastic sponsors. So a huge shout out to Seeds here now, number one seed bank in the game, all the hottest breeders, the latest drops, they've got a new exotic mic, red pop drop happening soon. Get in on that one if you like that ultra frosty exotic looking bug. Likewise, in order to get that, you got to grow a good crop and our other sponsors are fantastic. You go grow a good crop, and in order to do that, you should check out our friends at Coppet Biological Systems. They have the largest range of predator mites and other natural enemies in the game. I told you about their Ultimite, but have you checked out their Spidex Vital Predator mites? They've got proof of predation, colour changing technology, meaning the Persemilis mites will change to red after they've eaten spider mites. So you can be sure they're doing their job. Big shout-out to Copper Biological, we appreciate you. Likewise, a huge shout-out to Promix. These guys have been in the industry forever. You know them, I don't need to introduce them. But they do have a new product that would do well in anyone's garden. Promix Connect, a high-quality mycorrhizal inoculant designed to help increase your yields, your resins, your terpenes, your flavors, everything you love about good quality cannabis, this is going to emphasize that. So go check out ProMix Connect now to help ensure your next harvest is one of the best to date. And last but not least, a huge shout out to our friends at the Patreon gang. We love you and we appreciate the support you give the show. If you would like to help support the show and ensure future episodes happen, please go check out www.patreon.com forward slash the podcast. You'll get access to early interviews, exclusive unheard content like me chatting with Bodie, me, Bob Hemphill and me and Gene, chewing the fat, and exclusive genetic and merch giveaways. Go check it out now guys We appreciate you greatly I think that's just about the end of it For this one my friends I'll catch you on the next one To get that hitter This is Heavy Days From the Upside Down Library Signing out We'll see ya